Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Good morning. Good morning, Appleton Alliance. Good to be here. I, you know, coming, I grew up in Minnesota, and coming here, I thought, oh, great. I'm going to Wisconsin in February. It'll probably be 20 below zero. So this is the heat wave. This is great. Not a problem. So it's really, really, really good to be here. I go way back with Dennis Episcopo and Brian Episcopo. Love these guys. Hear great things about your church. Um, just to give you a little, my background, a little context of who I am, uh, started a church in southern New Jersey, and... Um, in our house, and it grew from the house to meeting in a school to then our first building, and then our second building, and our and that's when we first after the first building, I kind of burned out. I'll tell you more about that later. Then Dennis Episcopal helped me a lot to get back going. Then he, he took the job out here at this church, and uh, we had a third building and a fourth building, and it's just like yeah, we've been through a lot of that, a lot of growth like this church has had, and. Um, it's been a great adventure to see what God does. And just a couple years ago, I actually retired after 41 years. And um, now, I, yeah, thanks. And now I, um, now I have a ministry to pastors. Uh, another pastor challenged me, said, Marty, if you don't help these other pastors, who's going to help them? And you should have learned something over 40 years. I go, yeah, I learned a few things. And some of those things I'm going to share with you today. And... Um, one of the things pastors have always asked me now that I'm retired is, Marty, how did you make it? And a lot of them have gone through some difficult things, some of them things I've been through, some of them even things I haven't been through. But how do you deal with suffering? And that's really the subject I want to talk with you about today. Because as I started this new ministry called Pastor for Pastors, I started asking myself, well, what passages of Scripture would I teach them from? And the one that kept coming up over and over again was the last letter written, recorded in the Bible by the Apostle Paul just a couple years before, well, even months before he was martyred, you know, beheaded in Rome. The last letter he wrote, recorded in the Bible, and it's 2 Timothy. And Timothy was like a boy to him. It's like his own son. And Timothy was very discouraged, maybe even depressed. We don't know what his problem was, what his suffering was. Was it emotional? Was it spiritual? Was it a physical malady? We don't know. May have been all of those. But it probably was something just like you've been through, just like I've been through. Whether you're a pastor or not, it's kind of irrelevant. It's, the big question is, are you suffering? If you're suffering in any way right here today, you are in the right spot. And I would like to pray with you about it right now before we even get started. So would you bow your heads with me? And let me just sincerely ask God, dear Lord, hear my cry. For everyone in this room, no matter where they're at or what they're facing, what they faced in the past, unjust things, cruel things, heartaches, pain. What they're going to face in the future, that they will also suffer, and what they're facing right now. May they be able to hear the word of the Lord to them. 
just like this Pastor Timothy was hearing from the Apostle Paul. I ask that for me and everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me set the context a little bit uh, for 2 Timothy. I've always admired the Apostle Paul. And if this guy's going to talk to me about suffering, I don't know about you, but boy, I'm going to be listening. If you read the history of the Apostle Paul, what he went through, it was unbelievable. How many times he was whipped or caned or beaten. One time in Lystra, they threw so many stones at him to stone him. Obviously, he had a concussion. He's knocked out, laying on the ground. They think he's dead. They go, oh, let's go back to town and have a beer, you know, kind of thing. Like, he, he's dead. And he gets up, comes back into town, starts preaching again. He had been through so much suffering and pain, falsely accused, lawsuits, taken to court, just uh, anything you have experienced, anything that I might have experienced that I would call suffering is minor compared to this man. So when this man starts talking to a guy who's suffering like Tim, and he says, hey, buddy, here's what you need to realize. I'm all ears because he's been there and done that way beyond anybody in this room, I guarantee you. And he's a man of God. He did this trying to follow the Lord. What did he learn? What could he pass on to you and to me? What could we learn as he passed things on to Tim? I wrote it down. I like to preach what I call big idea. And the big idea of this message is you need to realize there's more to God's sovereign rule in your life. In essence, that's what he's trying to say to Tim. Tim, Tim, Tim. Calm down, Tim. Calm down. There's more you need to realize. There's more you need to realize about God. There's more you need to realize about suffering. There's more you need to realize about yourself. There's more you need to realize about God and his sovereign rule. His complete, you know, sovereign means complete control. His complete control over everything that happens in your life. It's a hard concept to grab hold of in our little brains. But that is the key that he seems to be trying to help Tim understand. And I think trying to help you and I understand. So let's take this book, 2 Timothy. Let's just read the first eight verses. You got your Bibles or your phone you can turn on or watch it on the screen. Ready? Here we go. 1 Timothy, I mean 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's a lot said right there. I got to go past it quick. Let's get to verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now he must be pretty close to the guy. He says, Man, I'm always praying for you. I'm constantly remembering you in my prayers. Always praying for you. You know, like you would for your own kid, right? And seems to be almost like a father-son relationship here. As I remember you would remember your tears. Wow, pretty emotional. They, they must have been at quite a level. He says, I, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. You knew his grandmother. He knew his grandma. Well, that's pretty close. And your mother, Eunice, he knew his mom. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And then he says this, for this reason, because I know you. And I know where you came from. And I know your grandma and I know your mom. Here's what I want to tell you. 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I put down a point one in my little outline. You could follow along in your head if you can or write it down. You need, first he's saying, you need to realize, Tim, there is more of God's sovereign power. There's more for you. When he says this idea, fan into flame, the first thing I want you to understand, I think the first thing he's trying to get Timothy to understand is this. There is a flame. I know your grandma. I know your mom. I know you have the same sincere faith. If anyone in this room has trusted Christ as your Savior, you consider yourself born again. It's burning. It's in there. All these new desires, all these new thoughts, all this new understanding, that wasn't you. It's God's Spirit. He's trying to say, Tim, it's in there. God's in there. He's in you. I know it. You just need to fan the flame. In other words, it had kind of gone down. His faith had wavered. Maybe he's doubting. Maybe it's shaken. Maybe the suffering and the pain and the hardship and the difficulty, maybe the, through the, you know, who knows what. But he says, it's there. So all you got to do is fan it. How would you fan a flame? How would you make a flame grow? Well, you throw more wood on the flame. You put more fuel on the flame. You get some oxygen to the flame. And he's going to go on to explain this a little further as he talks with Tim about it. Maybe it will help you understand. You know, because there's obstacles that get in the way. And he mentions the number one obstacle. You're listening now? The number one obstacle that makes you be stuck in your suffering. And he says it this way, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit. The Holy Spirit, he's in you. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. God gave us a spirit, not of fear. Fear is the number one thing. Fear of what maybe God will ask you to suffer. Fear of what you might not get. Fear of what you might get. Fear of money problems. Fear of disaster that may come. Fear of what the doctor's diagnosis would be. Fear of, of a pain you're feeling. Fear of, 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 of something that's happening in your marriage. Fear of all these fears. You know, they're all over the place. They hold us back from having a big flame. They hold us back from being on fire for God. They, they hold back the flame, he said, from fanning the flame. It's like a, almost an invisible barrier. It's an obstacle. He says, but God didn't give you a spirit of fear, Tim. He gave you a spirit of power and love and self-control. Now, do you understand what he's trying to say there? He's making a contrast. You're either going to be controlled by the fear or you're going to be controlled by the spirit. Well, what, what, I'm going to power my way through that? No, you're not going to power your way through God's going to give you the power because God gave you a spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's not telling Tim, please listen to me, buck up, be a man, muscle your way through. No, that's, that's, that's human effort. 
He's saying, it's not your human effort that's going to get you through, Tim. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has power, divine power. It's beyond human power. I mean, how many times as a pastor did I hear that? Marty, I can't take it anymore with this woman. You know, he wants to get divorced or something. Marty, I can't take it anymore with this man. Marty, I can't take it anymore at this job. I can't take it anymore with this teenage person, this, this kid that's driving me crazy. My, I can't take it anymore, whatever. You can't. It's almost like Paul would be saying to you, well, good. I'm glad you realize you're out of power because you are. You're going to suffer in your life, and you're going to finally someday hit the wall. And the best thing you can realize is, okay, I can't do it. Good. Now you realize God has to do it. And I'm telling you, God didn't give you a spirit of fear to be afraid that you can't do it. God gave you a spirit of power, the power of God. It's beyond you. Good. Recognize that. I can't make it. Oh, guys, how many times did I feel that in 40 years? I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Try and be a spiritual leader of people. People work is messy work. It most often doesn't work out like you thought. It's difficult. Let alone your own self. I'm messy too. So to recognize, yes, I'm a mess. Yes, they're a mess. Yes, this isn't working. It's step one to realize Oh, but God, Paul's given him such hope. Tim, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-control. I don't have time to get into all the love and stuff, but he's trying to say, God put some things in you. This, this is amazing. And look at the next verse. This next verse blows my mind. In the next verse, he said this. Therefore, in other words, in light of that, that God gave you a spirit, not of fear, but a power of love and self-control, he says... Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoners, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Notice that. But he says this. This blows my mind. Here's why it blows my mind. Okay, I'm talking to you, and you're such a discouraged person, and you're really down. You're really down in the dumps and things. You know, it's just not working out. And I say to you, just share in the suffering with me. And you go, thanks a lot. What do you mean share in the suffering? I, I read this and I think, Paul, that's what you're saying to a guy that's down and beat up and feeling lost and it's not working? and Like share in the suffering? <laughs> that's not encouraging. That's not helpful. Unless you recognize what he's trying to say is this. Please listen to this right here. You got to catch this. Tim. There's more of God. There's more of God's power that you haven't experienced yet. And until they left me for dead in the town of Lystras because I was stoned halfway to almost to death, I didn't know of that power but until then. You see, when James says, in the book of James, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because he's saying, because it's productive. There's a reason for this. It's going to work in your life. You're going to know God more. That's the whole point. He says the same thing. Uh, chapter 2, verse, what is that? 2, 3. Share in suffering is a good soldier of Christ. He says it again. Share in suffering. It doesn't sound encouraging. 
But to a guy who's been there and done that, he's saying, that's when I really knew God. That's when I really began to experience him and know of his power in my life way beyond what I could do. I don't know how many Christians you've known, but if you've ever known some of these old saints that have been through so much stuff and you admire them, like, how in the world do they do it? That's what they're talking about. And they're they're not afraid to tell you, yeah, you're going to suffer. Even Jesus said that, right, to his disciples? In this world, you're going to have trials and tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's not gonna, he didn't say, you will avoid it. You won't have any trials. No, you're going to have them. But you're going to have God. You're going to have God's power inside you by the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question here. I, I, here's a clarifying question. At the end of each point, I want to use a clarifying question. In fact, before I do that, let me read this. I jumped. Here's something written by Dane Ortland, wrote a book about Jonathan Edwards, and he's talking about people who are converted. I pr- probably think most of the people in this room would consider yourself converted to Christ, you're a Christian. He says, in other words, in regeneration, regeneration is just another word for being born again. In regeneration, God fundamentally changes the human heart. Listen to this. He turns on the light. He flips a permanent switch. He gives a new set of taste buds by which he tastes that which is delicious, by which he tastes that which is delicious, like a a pair of glasses in which he gives us to really see the beauty. In short, it unites us to Christ in such a radical, life-altering way that we are instinctively drawn towards things different than we were before, ever drawn to before. Did you experience that when you became a Christian? I sure did. All of a sudden, I wanted self-control, which he promises here. I wanted to love people that I didn't even really like. I, I wanted to experience all of God's power in my life. We now have a divinely implanted distaste for sin, which once held us captive by its beauty. We are now repelled by such sin and drawn to things of God. That's a miracle. That's kind of what Paul's trying to remind Timothy of. You've been converted. The Holy Spirit's coming into you. You've been born again. Let let me ask this clarifying question that I was trying to jump to earlier. If you don't experience God's power in your life right now in the suffering you're going through, is that because you really don't believe it's there? Do you or don't you really believe in the power of God in you when you accepted Christ? It's more than just you now. He's there. And realizing that you can't do it might be the first step to realize only God can get me through this. That's right. Now you're in the right place. That's step one. Look at the next thing. Next realization. Realize there's more of God's sovereign purpose. Look at the next verse. Let's key in on verse 9. He's talking about Christ and the power of God in Christ. He says, who saved us and called us. So, Tim, I want to remind you, you were called. You didn't choose it. God chose you. Called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own, there's the word, purpose. Because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
This is why you're here. This is why you're in this situation, because God called you here for his purpose. When I'm meeting with different pastors in my ministry called Pastor for Pastors now, whether it's one-on-one or in small groups, I'm trying to remind them, you're in the ministry. You're a pastor now. And I could say the same thing if you're a carpenter, if you're an electrician, if you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, or if, if you have kids, or if you're married. God sovereignly calls people to things. I really believe you're even here this morning, and I'm here this morning, and we're talking, and I'm talking to you about this passage because this was not just humanly designed. There's a calling going on. The sovereign God is at work. And he has a purpose. A purpose far bigger than we often recognize. I used to tell people in my church when I was a pastor for 40 years, two most important words in the entire Bible are are these two words. In Christ. If God sees you in Christ, guess where you're going? Heaven, where Christ is. If God doesn't see you in Christ, but in you, you're not going there. In Christ becomes the basis of everything you have. And Paul seems, and you notice he even has mentioned those two words more than once here. In Christ is what we're counting on. It's where the power, the love, the self-control, it's where the real purpose comes from. It's powerful. Um, maybe this is a good time to mention something that happened to me. Back in 1991, the end of 91, the beginning of 1992, I was very sick, suffering a lot. The church was growing like crazy, and it was overloading me. Anyway, I got sick, and I never recovered for a long time. I didn't go to work at church for nine months. That's sick. It's called the Epstein-Barr virus. It's an immune deficiency disease. Doctors didn't quite know what to do with it back then and still don't. Talked to me about a lot of different things. The doctor I had went to our church, helped me immensely, but they just said, well, by God's grace, hopefully you get better. You'll learn to live differently, eat differently, <laughs> function. To- I didn't know if I had strength. I had hit the wall where I couldn't do it. I couldn't even be a husband. I couldn't be a father to my kids. I couldn't work. What what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Talk about fear. Yeah, all these fears. And it was like that was step one. Step two was this idea of purpose. Let me tell you how it happened. Someone gave me a book about suffering. It was called A Path Through Suffering. The author's name was Elizabeth Elliot. You all know who that is? Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary in Ecuador to the Aka Indians. And she was there in her, in her 20s. She already had a kid or two. Her husband was ministering with her to these Aka Indians. And her husband and several other missionary men were killed, literally murdered by the Indians. And she's going crazy. What, what? What do you do then? What do you do when your husband got killed by the very people you went to help? This this has a purpose? She's not seeing it. She ended up staying there. 
ended up ministering for many, many years afterwards. It's one of those kind of people. If you want to talk to someone, if you want to learn about suffering, talk to somebody who's been there. Well, she's been there. So I read that book. Here's the theme of the whole book. If you ever get a chance to read the book, A Path Through Suffering by Elizabeth Elliot, you got to read it. And she said, the theme of the whole book is this. No, it's not stupid. No, don't curse. Because, you know, isn't that what you do sometimes when you're suffering? Blank, you know, dog on it. Don't. She says, because there's a purpose for it. She said, that's what got me through. That's what helped me care for my kids. That's what led me to the place years later getting remarried. That's what caused me to be able to continue to minister. That's how I could go back to the very people that murdered my husband and still minister to them because I saw there's a purpose bigger than this. And that's exactly what Paul's trying to tell Tim. Tim, you were called and you were called to a purpose. The problem is you've shrunk your life down to a little purpose. Just having a church, just ministering to people, just getting along, just being happy, just having a good family, just going on a nice vacation. That ain't enough. That won't work. And for many of you here today, the reason you're suffering is because your purpose has gotten too small for your life. That's what's wrong. You're looking at this saying, it's not working, it does not happen, it's not what I planned, it's not what I thought, this makes no sense at all. And Elizabeth Elliot would say to you, that's because you don't see big enough yet. God's trying to get you a bigger purpose that would fit your big life. Your life needs to get bigger. This is, this is such an American church problem. We, we, we get so self-absorbed. We got so much money and we go on so many vacations and we do so much entertainment. And I'm not criticizing that. I'm going to do it as much as anybody, but it's like it all causes us to think so small, so self-absorbed. Maybe Timothy was having the same problem. All of a sudden, Paul's saying, don't forget, you're called by God. That's why you became a Christian. And God has a big plan for you, a big purpose for your life. That's what you need to rediscover. I wrote down in a clarifying question these words, this question. Is your suffering revealing that your purpose is too small for your life? Could that be what's going on inside your mind and your heart? God, had, God just wants you to have a bigger life with more joy and more fulfillment and more meaning and more purpose. Go for it. There's more there. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy and God is saying to you. Okay, third point. I'm running out of time. I got to hurry up. Um, realize there's more of God's sovereign plan. Look at chapter two. Start with verse 10. Let's just pick it up there. Therefore, I... Uh, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. He's saying, he's using his own life as an example. He uses this word endure. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So therefore, I, I, I endure, and I'm calling you to endure everything for the sake of the elect. That's the people that are going to become Christians. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for... And it's almost like he's saying, well, here, here's what it's like. This is a, either a poem or a, or a song he quotes here. 
things that people do when they suffer. If we have died, we will also live with him. In other words, if you suffer so much, you even die, and you're worried about that, and you have fear of that, he says, don't worry, we, we will live with him. And, and if we endure, if you hang in there, and some people do that, and just keep enduring, we also reign with him. If we deny him, and you know that, and I know that, there's people that deny the Lord when they go through suffering. Well, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. If you're faithless and your faith is shaken through this suffering, don't worry. God's going to be faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Probably the key to understanding this is that word endure. He mentions twice here, verse 10 and verse 12. It's a compound word in the original language of Greek that is written in. Hupo meno. Hupo is a prefix, means under, and meno means to remain. <laughs> and this is just shocking to me. Paul's saying to this suffering man, Timothy, Tim, you need to remain under the suffering. Again, like, doesn't that sound crazy? This is how you're going to make it, buddy. You need to endure. Now, that makes no sense at all unless he's saying, this is the plan God has for you. The suffering is part of God's plan for your life. And when you remain under it, you fulfill that plan. You complete that plan. You actually experience more of God his power, his love, his self-control, more of his purpose, and completing his plan when you endure under the suffering. Uh, he mentions it again, chapter 4. I'll go real quick because I see on the clock I'm running out of time. In chapter 4, verse 5, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure. There it is again. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He says it right there, you're going to fulfill more. Listen to me. Here's the problem. We tend to think too small. You think too small about your calling in life. You think too small about your plan in life. Really, you do. We do. God has a bigger plan. He wants to have you be more effective and more, more blessed in ways that you just don't even comprehend now, but you're going to have to endure suffering. Um, let me share one last story real quick. I have a brother-in-law named Joel, my wife's brother. Big, tall, red-headed guy, awesome guy. You would love him. Joel was a missionary in Africa, West Africa, for 25 years. Had this beautiful son named Josiah, and Josiah went to Wheaton College. Um, very smart kid. And a big, strapping, red-headed guy that liked to work out. So when the football coach saw him, he said, you got to be on my team. So he's on the football team there, did really well, and um, graduated and then went on to a mission. I think it was with Samaritan's Purse or something like that for a year. Fell in love, madly in love with this girl. Got engaged, and they're going to get married. And um, he's 21 years old. And uh, he takes her back to his home college of Wheaton College, and he's jogging around the track with her. A couple of weeks, we're going to get married, and he drops dead. He had a heart malady no one ever knew about. He dropped dead. 
I had to get on a plane and fly to Wheaton, Illinois to do his funeral. My nephew, 21 years old, the guy was a, you know, a picture of beauty, big, strong, redheaded dude. And he's dead? His parents are missionaries and they're scratching their head going, what? This is your plan for my life? My boy? What, what pain is more than that? What heartache? I'm sure his dad thought, no, that should be me if anybody's got to die here, not him. That's pain. That's suffering. Fast track a year later. I'm, just, I'm talking to Joel, and I hate Joel. How you doing, man? How you doing in light of what happened to Josiah, your boy? He says, Marty, the pain is unimaginable. Even when he said that, I felt like crying. Like, pain is unimaginable. He says, but I've realized something I never knew before. You can have suffering and joy at the same time. I'm like this with my mouth open like, what? Yeah. I've experienced more of God, more of his power, more of his purpose, more of his plan than I ever thought imaginable. And I have grief and joy at the same time. I know there's some people in this room that have experienced that. You only get that when you remain under. You endure. He says, no, my faith didn't waver. I decided to trust God and his plan. Wow. Okay. I have to end. In fact, I'm five minutes and 40 seconds past ending, it says there. Let's make it real, real simple. You've been listening to it all. Let me simplify it. Real simple. The sovereign, almighty God so arranged it that Marty Berglund would speak at this church at this hour, and you, sovereignly by God, led here, would hear this message. That's what Paul's trying to teach, sovereignty of God. And that you would hear this sermon about God and his power that you need to discover and his purpose that you need to discover and his plan that you can discover only if you realize it and say, okay, I surrender. You got all of me. Let's go. I want, there is more of you. So many of us stop so short of that and that's why you suffer more. Paul, who knew suffering, is saying, no, no, don't do that. There's more. Sovereign God led you here today. There's a reason. There's a purpose. It's his power. It's his plan. So pray with me right now. Let's end our service. In fact, let's stand up.
Let's pray this prayer. Bow your head with me as sincerely as you possibly can and let me lead us in prayer, okay? Dear almighty sovereign God who controls every molecule in the entire universe, the one who created us and allowed us to be born and live in Wisconsin and to be at this church at this moment, to have our situation, our circumstance, our suffering right before you. You know our hearts. You know us intimately. You called us to yourself. That's why we've been given this spirit, this power, and this purpose, and this plan. So, I pray for this person that's listening right now, that you would help them pray a prayer in their hearts and say, Dear God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't trust you more. I need to experience more of your power because I'm done. I don't have much strength left you got to carry me through. Secondly, you have a purpose. I need, to, I need to embrace more. I need to realize that. Help me realize that purpose more. Bigger. My life has been way too small. You want it bigger. Okay, I'm going. And thirdly, you have a plan. Way beyond my little plan. I want your plan. I want to be able to experience like Marty's brother-in-law, that joy in the midst of my sorrow and grief and pain. I believe it's there. You said it is. So, Lord, let's make it real simple. Lord, Lord, I want more of you. That's what I need. It's the only way I'm going to make it. I need more of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask this prayer for everyone listening. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for coming.